Well, I was uh, I was out at uh, Lake Havasu the last few days, uh, suffering really, you know, on uh, out on the lake and uh, suffering, doing some skiing and some watercraft, you know, having some fun out there with some friends. And you know, you know how you, you go on vacation like that, or you, you go maybe you go to Hawaii or you go to some special place and you come home to your friends and you say, yeah, I was, you know, I was really suffering in Hawaii. Everybody ever anybody ever said that suffering in Hawaii? kind of tongue-in-cheek, right? Everybody knows, okay, that's absolutely not suffering, right? Well, today, uh, today's message is really inspired from a number of comments from you from last week. Um, I was going to be continuing on in, uh, in Romans chapter 8, but I was stopped by uh, three or four of you, actually, who all had the same question, different people. Um, and the, the question was, after, after going through the portion of Romans 8 we went through last week, was... What does it mean to suffer with Christ? What does it mean to suffer with Christ? Hence the title of my message here today. What does it mean to suffer with Christ? And, and this question that I heard from like four of you, separate individuals, which was really um, uh, ironic. I, I, I rarely get that kind of uh, unanimity like in, in a similar question after a message. Uh, but it's, it, it kind of spurred off our study in Romans 8. Let's take a look at the passage again that we were looking at uh, last week, where in verse, in verse 17 in particular, but let's look at verse 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God. And that really should be a but, because it's day in Greek. But we're joint heirs with Christ if we indeed suffer with Him that we may also be glorified together with him. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And uh, we, we, we covered this a little bit, uh, but I didn't really go into, into detail of what it means to suffer with Christ. What does that look like? What are some examples of that? In our day and age. And so I wanted to consider that here today. But before I do, I wanted you to just think of think of the word suffering in your mind right now. OK, suffering um, and and that word suffering. Consider maybe on your notes right now, on the back of your note sheet, wherever I want you to write down, take a moment and write down two or three things in your life right now that you would characterize as suffering. All right. Think about it. I'll just give you a few moments in your mind. Uh, two or three things that right now you look upon your life and you say, I am suffering because of this. Or if you can't think of it now, maybe think of something in the past. I have suffered because of X, Y or Z. Take a few moments. Write down something that has caused you to suffer. little bullet point of the experience. It's fine. What is what what is causing you to suffer now? What has caused you to suffer? All right. Now hold that thought. We're, we're going to come to that later. And if, if, you, if you didn't finish, maybe uh, jot it down when it gets really boring about halfway through. Just kidding. Uh, the dictionary definition of suffering. I wanted to, to bring this up. What does it mean to suffer according to the dictionary? Well, I, I got dictionary.com here and dictionary.com 
says that suffer is a verb and it means to undergo or feel pain, distress, injury, loss, disadvantage, or anything unpleasant. It's a pretty fair definition, I think. Um, But interestingly enough, we're going to have to actually revise this definition uh, from a biblical viewpoint. Because when the Bible talks about suffering, the Bible goes a bit further than maybe our English word suffering might entail or that we might think suffering is. And so we're going to come back to this definition in just a little bit and revise it in light of what the scriptures have to say about biblical suffering. But the first question I wanted to ask and pose to, to, uh, to us today is, why does God allow suffering? Now, there's, there's an age-old question, right? Uh, this is a question that philosophers and theologians alike uh, uh, have, have posed throughout the centuries. You know, why does God allow evil? Why does God allow suffering? Why is there pain? Why is there hurt in this world? And it's not my purpose today to really give a full Uh, full-fledged answer with all sorts of loads of support to it. But I wanted to mention two brief things, two brief things that might spur uh, your interest in studying this matter a little bit further, because I think it's a, put it this way, for Christians, this, for anyone, this is a question you have to ask. You have to ask it. Why is there evil? Why is there suffering? Why would God, why would a good God allow suffering? I give two, two answers to this, and I wanted to just share them briefly. First, our God is a God who gives human beings free will. He allows us to choose. And when I think of, uh, when I think of uh, my son, Bennett, um, th- there, are, there are a couple things I'm, you know, that I could do with my son. Uh, in training him up to be a good boy, I could compel and manipulate and force my son to do certain things. I could basically not even give him the choice. I could say, you will do this. You are going to do this. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And I compel him to either do something or, or to, to love me or to act a certain way. I could compel him to do that as a father, right? On the other hand, I could turn to my son and I could give Bennett good reason. And biblical principles and instill him with the mind of Christ and say, this is why you should do this. This is why you should love other people. This is these are this is why you should follow Christ in this manner. And I could give him the opportunity either to choose that or to not choose that and ultimately suffer the consequences for not choosing to love or to do something good. The point being. There's two parenting styles here, right? On the one hand, you're compelling, you're forcing, you're manipulating. On the other hand, you're giving opportunity for choice. Doesn't mean the choice doesn't, might have consequences. It still might. But you're giving them an opportunity to choose. When we look at God, we look at a Heavenly Father who has given mankind a choice. And what parent would we rather be? The manipulator, the, the coercer, the one who forces things, or the one who lets our children choose freely and then either suffer the consequences of their actions or be honored and rewarded for obedience. I think we know the answer to that question. And that's who God is. God has given the world a choice. And in their choosing, people have chosen evil. 
and chosen suffering. He could have compelled our love, but he didn't. He could have compelled us to be good, but he didn't. He could have compelled perfection in the world, but he didn't. And why? Because he's a good God. And so why is there suffering? Why does God allow suffering? Because he's a good God. He's a benevolent heavenly father. And he gave you and me a choice, which is exactly what we would wish of our parents to do for us. Secondly, I might say that uh, suffering allows for the greater good to come about. Um, You know, human beings have chosen evil, right? Nevertheless, all hope was not lost because it was through suffering that our redemption was purchased in Jesus Christ. And so also, so, so, so while we dislike suffering and while we don't, we, we don't have a, a good taste in our mouth when we experience suffering, we need to remember that without the suffering of Christ, there would be no salvation. Without the suffering of Christ, there would be no salvation. And so with suffering comes what we might term second order goods. That's a, a kind of a philosophical way of looking at it. There, there are first order goods, the things that are good on, of a first degree, things like joy. Happiness, friendship. Yeah, these are things that are, that are good, but could equally exist in a perfect world. Joy, happiness, friendship, first order goods. But then there are things called second order goods. And these are things like sacrifice. Like unconditional love. Like mercy. Like comfort. You see, these second order goods are things that could not exist in a perfect world. Let me say them again. Unconditional love. Sacrifice. Mercy. Comfort. Those kinds of things, the reason philosophers term them second order goods, not because they're second in importance, but because they could not exist in a world without suffering. You could not show mercy in a perfect world. You could not comfort in a perfect world. You could not show unconditional love in a perfect world. It would only be in a world where evil and suffering exist. And so why does God allow suffering? Because greater good comes when evil is in this world. Case in point, the death, burial, and resurrection of of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God has blessed us with the greatest good. A good that can only come, not in a perfect world, but in a world of evil and suffering. And so these are two of the reasons that I give personally for why could a good God allow for suffering. It's something to consider. I, I encourage you to, to, uh, to really make sure that you can answer that question in your defense of, of your Christian faith. But a second question I want to address today is why should a Christian embrace suffering? Why should a Christian embrace suffering? And the first answer I want to give is this. A Christian should embrace suffering because Jesus suffered for us. And it is our calling to emulate him. Peter writes this in 1 Peter 2. He says, for to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. One of the primary reasons why a Christian is called to suffer is because Jesus suffered. And we are called to emulate him. 
That is our high calling. Secondly, why should a Christian embrace suffering? To experience a deeper knowledge of Christ and to better conform to His image. To experience a deeper intimacy, a deeper knowledge of who Christ is. That's why we should suffer. Paul writes again in Philippians uh, here, Yet indeed I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, be found in Him, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death. Paul knew that he, as he suffered, as he embraced suffering, he would be drawing closer to the heart of Jesus Christ and becoming more like Him. A third reason that Christians should embrace suffering is to grow in our ability to comfort others who suffer. To grow in our ability to comfort others who suffer. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. Notice the emphasis on comfort there. There's, there it's, I've listed it in bold there. It, it's, it's overwhelming how much Paul is emphasizing here that, look, as you've been comforted by Christ on so many different levels, not only your eternal deliverance, but presently with the ministry of the Spirit in you, you are being comforted, you're being upheld, being built up. That comfort is designed for you to go out and comfort others. Be with them through their times of suffering. And fourthly, a final reason why a Christian should embrace suffering, to become a joint heir with Christ in the kingdom of God. And we, that's our, that's our uh, text that we're spinning off of here today in Romans 8:17. Joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him. And I, I've... I've had a lot of people, uh, I had a couple of people say, too, at the uh, end of last week's message, well, I'm content to be an heir of God. That's good enough. Why do I want to be a joint heir with Christ? Right. Uh, I, I, I don't want to rule. And isn't that what being a joint heir with Christ means? Uh, I, I, particularly, I've had uh, some of the ladies make those kinds of comments where like, I, I don't want to rule in the kingdom of God. And, I, um, and, and as a man, you know, men like to rule. Right. Men like to to uh, you know, have their uh, have their domain, I guess, right? But uh, ladies are generally speaking uh, less inclined to that kind of thing. But keep in mind, you know, reward in the kingdom of God is not just about ruling; it's about it's about crowns. And I know ladies, uh, you know, usually you like jewelry, right? Okay, it's 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 about it's about words of affirmation. Imagine hearing from the Lord Jesus Christ, "Well done." Good and faithful servant. Not every Christian is going to hear that. Some Christians uh, are. Lord's going to say, "You believed in my son," and and that was about it. Um, but for some, it's well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, and and I know, <clears throat> I know that we all crave words of affirmation like that. And so to be a joint heir with Christ is not just about ruling, but, but crowns and words of affirmation and just the, the knowledge that, that you have pleased your Father. You have pleased your Heavenly Father. We all want to be a joint heir with Christ. And ultimately, I, I think too, 
of what Paul says in Romans 8 in verse 17. He goes on to say right after uh, and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. He goes on to say, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed for us. In other words, all the things you're going through now, the sufferings, the, the pain, the turmoil, you won't even be able to, to, to put that on the scale with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We sometimes think, oh, I don't need to be a joint heir. We don't know what we're saying. We don't realize the value of being one who is not only in the kingdom of God, but one who has been a person of integrity on this earth, been a follower of Christ on this earth, suffered with Christ in this earth, and receives an overwhelming weight of glory in the life to come. We want to be joint heirs, whether we know it or not. Now, with respect to suffering here, we, we're talking about what does it mean to suffer with Christ? So I want to mention that there's two kinds of suffering uh, in mind here that we could consider, right? Uh, on the one hand, there's what I might term meritorious suffering. All right. Meritorious suffering. And, and what is meritorious suffering? Well, it is what it, what it seems to be. Let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, the author of Hebrews writes, but recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made of spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. Notice uh, verse 34 here. For you had compassions on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence which has great reward. Here we see an example. The author of Hebrews is writing about a group of people who were embracing the sufferings of Christ. And they were joining together with other believers, recognizing as they were doing it, they were recognizing the eternal value and reward, the merit, if you will, of going through that suffering. And so when we talk about meritorious suffering, we're saying that this is suffering that ends in reward. This is suffering that potentially can end in reward from the Lord. Now, under the heading of meritorious suffering, there, there are actually going to be two other categories. Number one, there's uh, involuntary suffering. And I think you probably know what that means. This is suffering that comes upon us, right? Involuntary involuntary. Meritorious suffering is suffering that that we're not seeking out, but that it comes to us. We experience something and we weren't looking for it. We weren't asking for it, but it shows up in front of us and we have an opportunity in, involuntarily to suffer through this and receive reward as a result of that suffering. Secondly, there's what we might term voluntary suffering. And this is, as as it states, Suffering that you seek out. You might think, suffering that I seek out? Why would I do that? Right? But actually, it's a very biblical concept. In fact, uh, the author of Hebrews goes on to talk about Moses, who did this very thing. Notice uh, Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing, notice the active verb there, Choosing, rather, to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin 
esteeming, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Here we have an example of meritorious, voluntary suffering. Moses is looking at reward and he's choosing a life of suffering to obtain that reward. To please his heavenly father, knowing that it's the right thing to do. He actually chooses to suffer. And we're going to we're going to talk about a little bit uh, about what that might look like in in our day, what it would mean to to choose suffering uh, for us. Certainly, I want to say that the Lord is pleased when we honorably deal with suffering that comes our way. He's pleased when we deal with suffering that is involuntary, that comes to us. But he is especially impressed with the Christian who willingly chooses to suffer on behalf of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a second uh, kind of suffering that we haven't mentioned yet, and that is non-meritorious suffering. Non-meritorious suffering. And it is also what the name implies. Non-meritorious suffering is suffering that you bring upon yourself. Um, it can be legitimately described as suffering from a bit from a, 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 a dictionary definition. But this kind of suffering is not meritorious in God's eyes. In other words, the Lord considers you no better for having endured this kind of suffering because it is suffering that is rightly deserved. And you might be thinking, that sounds kind of harsh. But actually, the scriptures bear witness to this. In the context of, um, of uh, slaves and masters in the first century, Peter wrote these words. He said this. He said this to the slaves. He says, what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Now, notice the first line there, though. The first line is what we're focused on. What credit is it? What merit is it? What reward is it? What could you possibly expect to benefit if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? Now, let's put it a little bit more mildly. Um, You know, if you do something wrong, if you sin, if you engage in evil conduct, or make a, a, a extremely unwise and unbiblical decision, and you experience suffering as a result of that sin or very, very unwise course of action that you took, that kind of suffering is non-meritorious suffering. The Bible bears that out right here. There's no credit given for it. You might be suffering, no doubt about it, but it is not suffering that has the potential in and of the suffering to end in reward. It is suffering that is rightly deserved. And so I, I go on to say here in your outline, suffering the just consequences of your sinful actions is not suffering with Christ. <clears throat> Again, suffering the just consequences of your sinful actions is not suffering with Christ. <clears throat> We've had uh, Lindsay Lohan in the news, right? Everybody's been uh, watching the Lindsay Lohan saga. And I guess this gal, this celebrity, has, um, she's, uh, she's violated her parole, right? She, her, the judge, they gave, she gave Lindsay Lohan a list of things you've got to do. You've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to do this. And uh, Lindsay went off and, and she, 
She didn't meet the conditions of her parole. And so they had a big hearing in court a few weeks, a couple weeks back. And uh, Lindsay's giving a case before the judge, you know, that, 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 well, there's good reason why I didn't do this, this and this. And she's trying to give her her reasoning and her substantiation for it. And the judge looked at Miss Lohan and said, I'm sorry, but, uh, you know, the conditions of the parole were violated. And this is the just consequence of violating your parole. Ninety days in jail. Ninety days in jail. And, and Lindsay got up there and with tears and with suffering, she, you know, she just cried out for mercy and cried out for help and said, oh, this is going to be so awful. And, and of course, you know, many people's hearts break for her and others say, well, maybe this is good for her. Nevertheless, the point being, is Lindsay Lohan suffering? You bet she is. Is this suffering in any way meritorious? No, it's not. It's the just consequence of sinful actions. It's the just consequence of sinful actions. And I'm not, I'm not using this as an illustration that, that uh, I don't know whether Lindsay Lohan knows the Lord or not, but I'm not using this as an illustration of a non-Christian receiving merit as a result of, of their, uh, uh, as a result of suffering. I'm just simply pointing out the fact that when you receive what is the just consequence of your actions, and you're suffering for it, that's not meritorious in the Lord's eyes. It is simply a byproduct of your sin, and no credit will be given for it, as First as Peter 2.20 mentions. And so that might bring up the question, well, if, if there's meritorious suffering where I get credit for it, right? And then there's non-meritorious suffering where I don't get credit for it. How do I know? How do I know if my suffering is meritorious or not? How do I gauge that, Right? Take a look at the, the, the things that you've just mentioned on your sheet. All right. Take a look at those again. Now, You're, you wrote these down at the start of this, uh, of the, of this teaching time and, and not knowing where we were headed. And uh, what do you think? Look at look at the, the, the list. Ask yourself the question. Now, am I suffering for this because of my own sin? Am I suffering on uh, this thing that I wrote down? Am I suffering over this matter because of my own sinful conduct or my own uh, just very unbiblical decision that I made? Or am I suffering and it was not of myself, not something that, that, that was warranted, but something that was unjust, something that was un, unmerited in the sense that I, I didn't deserve this suffering. This came upon me. This came to me. Or Categorize it. What, what do you see on your sheet? What do you see on your list? And maybe consider that at home with your spouse or with a friend. Uh, you know, are you suffering in a meritorious kind of way where you have potential to earn reward for the suffering? Or are you suffering through something that... You know what? I'm getting the just consequence of my actions and I just I need to bear through this as the Lord would have me take it with the mind of Christ and repent if needed and move past it and, and move, move on in my walk with the Lord. Consider what, what, what category, I guess, your suffering falls under. Now, regardless, I want to say this, regardless of your answer to this question, regardless 
Our conduct is always, always to be aligned with Jesus Christ. So whether we're suffering justly or whether we're suffering unjustly, we are to put on the attributes of Christ as we suffer. And if we are trying to, uh, whether it's meritorious or unmeritorious suffering, we are to stay focused on the fact that through this time of suffering, I am to emulate Christ. I am to be like Him. And while, and while uh, non-meritorious suffering might not get a reward, my conduct, my character from there on, and the way I cope with it, Maybe an aspect of where the Lord will look upon me and say, well done, well done. Now, we're asking the question, how do I know if my suffering is meritorious? And we looked at our original dictionary definition of suffering. Remember, here's the original definition to undergo or feel pain, distress, injury, loss, disadvantage or anything unpleasant. But I think we need to go a bit further. Um, I spent... I spent this last week really scouring the scriptures um, and I, I'm happy to provide you with, with the list. I didn't do it on your outline, but I just really just spent a tremendous amount of time studying um, just the Greek words for suffer. Pasco in, in, in Greek, the verb, and I believe it's pathema, the noun suffering in, in Greek. And I just focused on those words and, and was itemizing what is happening, what's happening in the context, what's going on in this setting that the Bible terms it suffering. And I, I came up with seven, seven categories here. What does the Bible, when does the Bible call it suffering? So here's the question of the hour here. When does the Bible call it suffering? We call a lot of things suffering. But when does the scripture say, yeah, that is suffering? That is suffering. Number one, it is experiencing poor or hateful treatment. Paul talks um, in uh, in second in first Timothy about being spitefully treated. He was spitefully treated by different uh, parts uh, of the world where he would enter into synagogues, enter into towns and villages. Some people would treat him poorly. And Paul would would liken that uh, to the term suffering through that spiteful treatment. Number two, it is receiving unwarranted character attacks. Uh, Paul and Peter both were called evildoers. In the scriptures, and they were they're, they're, they're sitting there perplexed, saying, how are they calling us these evildoers when these are totally unwarranted? And yet this was an aspect of their suffering, receiving unwarranted character attacks. Number three, being impeded or imposed upon. Um, the Jews would often and, and the peoples of the town, sometimes the Romans and the Greeks, they would often forbid Paul from from speaking or preaching, they would forbid it. They would stand in his way and say, you, you cannot evangelize here. You cannot speak the, the gospel here. And so uh, Paul talked a lot about suffering in the sense of being impeded or imposed upon, forbidden to speak. Number four, being personally violated. Uh, having, we, we saw in Hebrews 10, having their goods plundered. They, 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 they lost things. They, were, they have things stolen from them. Things taken from them unjustly. Five, receiving threats. And we see this time and time again in the New Testament and on all the missionary journeys. You know, the, the apostles, they go out and they're receiving threats in town after town after town. And both Paul and Peter uh, describe this in the term of suffering. Two more here. Six, undergoing unjust punishment. 
Uh, how many times were they thrown in prison for preaching? How many times were they thrown in prison for simply speaking what they were claiming was the truth? We're starting to hear that more and more and more in our day and age. And of course, we, we know it's been happening in, um, in, in, in parts of the Middle East and in parts of Asia where there's a lot of attack on, uh, on Christians, China, uh, many parts of the Middle East. But now we're hearing it more and more in places like Europe. I know in Sweden, pastors are being jailed uh, for, preaching, for just preaching on the topic of homosexuality. They're being put in prison, in, in jail for that. And, uh, you know, w- what might happen in this country one day, uh, we don't know. We don't know what, what, what the future holds, but undergoing unjust punishment, I, I think, is something that certainly happened in the first century. I think we could probably expect it in our day and age as well. It's happening right now. Number seven, experiencing violence. Experiencing violence. Paul was uh, stoned. He was dragged out of a city and stoned. Um, they were they were killed for their faith. So, uh, ten of the remaining eleven apostles were were martyred for their faith, and so we see the, these seven. These seven are categories, characteristics of what the Bible terms suffering. When the Bible uses that that word suffering or to suffer, these are the contexts in which it's happening. Now compare these again to, to our list, right? And uh, I looked, I would look down at my list too, and I'd go, huh? I don't know if if mine heads up, really. You kind of you you get a little humble actually when you start seeing the extent and the depth sometimes of some of these aspects of suffering. But most importantly here, and I want to emphasize this, we would be especially precise, especially precise to add these words to all of these phrases. The final words are these, on account of your faith in Christ. Go ahead and write that down. On account of your faith in Christ. So all of these things, experiencing poor or hateful treatment on account of your faith in Christ. Receiving unwarranted character attacks on account of your faith in Christ. It is to be be most precise when you are experiencing one of these seven things and the primary reason you are experiencing them is on account of your faith you can especially be sure that you are suffering with Christ. You are suffering for Him. You are suffering with Him. It is one thing to be treated poorly by someone. It is quite another to be treated poorly because of your faith. It is one thing to receive a threat. It is quite another to receive a threat because you name the name of Jesus Christ. As you can see, uh, this is... You know, these, this, these aspects of suffering, they're more than, than merely uh, not wanting to do the dishes at home. It's a little bit more than that. How do I know if my suffering is meritorious? It is suffering in the spirit of this list that we can rightly call biblical suffering. And that we can rightly say is potentially meritorious. So wait a minute, Potentially? I thought it was meritorious, right? No. It's potentially meritorious. Say, how is that? How, how, uh, how is that true? It isn't the suffering. There's the suffering, one through seven. It isn't the suffering 
itself that is meritorious. It is the way in which we suffer that is meritorious. It is the way in which we cope that is meritorious in the Lord's eyes. I want to take you back to one of the original passages we looked at. Notice again, 1 Peter 2. Did I not put that on there? Can, can you go back to 1 Peter 2? I apologize, Joyce. It's toward the top there. One of the first verses we looked. There it is. All right. Sorry about that, Joyce. In 1 Peter 2, Paul writes this. Um, you know what? You're going to have to turn there because we didn't, we didn't include the rest of it. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to read the last part of this. Sorry about that. Missed it. 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to continue on from this passage in 2.20. And notice the end of it. All right. First Peter, chapter two, verse 20 and following. Peter writes this toward the end of the New Testament here. He says, what credit is it if when you're beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable. Excuse me. This is commendable before God. Uh, Verse 21. For to this you were called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. And notice verse 22, 1 Peter 2, verse 22, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. It is not the suffering. It is the manner in which the suffering was coped with. If Jesus went to the cross, hypothetically, and as He was going to the cross, said, I don't want to do this. I really don't want to do this. I'm so mad. I don't want to go to the cross. And did it grumbling, not that He would, and did it begrudgingly, we would not look upon the cross with the honor and the respect that we do. If I were to do the dishes at home, which I can't stand, and I were to do it grumbling and grumpy and say, fine, honey, I'll do the dishes. I love to empty the dishwasher, but I hate doing the dishes. You know what I mean? And, and I'm just like, oh, honey, sure, I'll do the dishes. I guess I'll go through that. You know, if I'm going to do that action and, and, and perform that, you know, for, for, for my wife, not that it's for my wife, you know, but if I do it begrudgingly, it's, 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 it's as if I didn't even do it. It's as if I didn't even perform the action when I do it with an attitude that is begrudging and harsh and with a tone that is bitter, moping. It is not the suffering. Let's go back to our list one through seven. It is not the suffering itself that is meritorious. You know what it is? It's the way in which you suffer. It's when you receive a threat. It's the way in which you respond. It's when you are, have your character assassinated, okay? It's the way in which you respond to that character attack. When you're personally violated, when you're impeded, when you're imposed upon, when you're treated poorly by someone else, it's not the fact that you've had that happen upon you. It's how you respond that determines whether or not you have just suffered in the way that Christ would look upon you and say, well done. Well done. Um, my wife has a quality about her 
um, that is often criticized. Uh, and we talked about this. It's, it's peculiar because uh, sometimes I get upset about it, too. I'm like, honey, come on. And it, it's, you know what it is? It's standing up for herself. Casey uh, rarely stands up for herself. She's, she's one of those people that um, if, if, if someone maybe uh, gives a comment that maybe she doesn't agree with or, or if a constructive criticism or, or any of that, you know, she, she'll rarely stand up for herself. And uh, there have been multiple conversations that we've had in our marriage where I'll be like, honey, why don't you stick up for yourself? You know, why don't you why don't you say, well, no, I don't think that's right, you know, or, or, or I don't think that characterizes me. And but instead, she's often she's often very gracious and she often accepts the comment or accepts the criticism or whatever it is. And uh, she's often uh, by multiple people in her life, family, friends, often been criticized for not sticking up for herself. It's the way in which you cope that determines whether it's meritorious or not. My wife's not perfect, but she copes with poor treatment in a way that I often criticize and others criticize and yet is meritorious in the Lord's eyes. It's the way we cope. It's the way we respond. Not the suffering itself. And so once again, look at your list. What is on your list? You are not receiving credit from the Lord by going through it. You are receiving credit and merit And reward one day for the kingdom when you go through it well. When you exceed as you walk through this time of suffering. How are you suffering? Many Christians suffer injustices. They whine. uh, Many Christians suffer injustices poorly. They whine about it. They mope about it. They complain about it. And that suffering that was potentially meritorious, now the credit is lost because of the way in which it was coped with. Now, what else? Uh, I want some final comments here. What else does this suffering? What else? What else does suffering with Christ entail? Just a few final thoughts. What else does suffering with Christ entail? Take a look at this next text in Colossians. I now rejoice, Paul says, in my sufferings for you, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. For the sake of his body, which is the church, you know, with Christ. Think about this. We're talking about joint heirs with Christ. There's something that we're doing with Christ that Paul seems to bring out a little bit in Colossians one. But he brings it out really in a peculiar manner. He says, I rejoice. I take joy in my sufferings for you, the Colossian church and fill up in my flesh. I I take it upon myself. The, what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. What could possibly be lacking in the afflictions of Christ? That's a very peculiar statement. We think of Jesus and we think, Jesus, he paid the price. You know, he, he was totally afflicted. He totally suffered. He suffered once for all. And he did it fully and finally. So what could possibly be lacking in the afflictions or the sufferings of Jesus Christ? Well, he goes on to say this. For the sake of his body which is the church. Now take a look at this next little segment here. 
To suffer with Christ is to suffer with his body, the church, which is to say, suffer with fellow Christians. That's what Paul's getting at in Colossians 1. And that's what he's getting at throughout the whole New Testament. To suffer with Christ, with him, is to suffer with his body, the church, the community who have called upon the name of the Lord. It's to suffer with everyone that you're sitting shoulder to shoulder with right now. It's to suffer alongside them. It's to suffer with them. It's to be there in all the joys and all the sorrows. And that's why Paul goes on to say to the Corinthians, he says this, the members, the members of the body should have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, everybody suffers. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice. We're in this together. We're in this suffering together. When you look at that one through seven list and you see someone alongside you who's going through that suffering, bear it with them. Encourage them. Be alongside them as they go through that suffering. Don't just kind of wave them away and say, good luck. Follow up. Encourage them. Ask them how it's going. Remind them. Cope with it well. Handle this suffering well. Because there's reward for it. Joint heirship with Christ is at stake. We've all heard the, the phrase, uh, misery loves company. Well, in this case, in the Scriptures, you know, sufferers need company. Those who suffer need company. We need one another as we go through difficult times, particularly those difficult times for our faith. Surround yourself with people and stories of those who suffer with Christ. There's something powerful that happens when you do. On, on, on the one hand, you can stave off temptation. Peter writes this. He says, resist the devil, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Knowing the sufferings of one another helps you stave off temptation, helps you remain holy. And as we suffer together, we are to pray. James writes, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray, asking God for help. We need his help in these times of suffering. And finally, 1 Peter 5, but may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. You know, you're, you and I, we're going to go through suffering in this life. Every single one of you are. And uh, you look at the sufferings that you got on your sheet there and you think, you know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't uh, meritorious suffering. It is suffering. We're not going to deny that. But what we've learned today is this. Of the things that the Bible calls suffering, um, it's the way in which we cope with it. It's the way in which we approach those aspects of suffering that determines whether or not one day the Lord will look upon you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear. And the way to be a joint heir, the way to be one who reigns, who is crowned, who receives words of affirmation in the kingdom of God, that person is the one who looks upon suffering, who experiences it, who even at times seeks it out and copes with it in a manner that is befitting of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know we're going to go through suffering. Lord, Your Word tells us that all who desire to live godly will suffer persecutions. So God, we know, we know it's a reality of life. 
But Lord, help us to suffer well. Because we know that is where you are most honored. Lord, forgive us for the times where we bring this suffering upon ourselves. Sometimes we have this unmeritorious suffering, Lord, that we, we make a, 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 we have a, a terrible sin or, or make a, a terribly poor judgment, Father, that brings suffering upon us, Lord. Forgive us for those moments. Help us to cope with it nonetheless. But ultimately, Lord, let us go on to true and genuine biblical suffering. That on account of our faith, we would suffer. And that we would suffer well. As your Spirit helps us, and as we are encouraged by the faith of those around us, help us, Lord, to suffer well, that we may be a joint heir with your Son in his kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.